Cortez Island is an idyllic getaway for weekend adventure seekers or vacationers looking for a quiet piece of paradise. For the residents of this remote community, it is so much more. For most of the island's citizens, Cortez is a part of their identity and a way of life. Neighbors help one another to build and maintain art studios and cabins. They buy one another's products, lend each other equipment and vehicles. They take one another to appointments and stock each other's wood piles in the winter months. But the peaceful sense of community was shattered in August of 2010 when one of their most well-known residents was murdered while he slept. In this Patreon exclusive, we dive into the unsolved murder of Stefano Savioli. And you are listening to True North True Crime. Welcome to your latest bonus episode of True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us exclusively on Patreon. We want to thank you all for continuing to support the podcast. It means the world to us that you're here. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. More details on a developing story happening tonight in the northern Gulf Islands. Major crimes investigators remain on Cortez Island tonight, where they are probing the death of a man in his 60s. A body was found in a home on the quiet rural island east of Campbell River. Friday, an autopsy is expected over the next couple of days, and RCMP say the death is suspicious. The man's name has not been released by police, but people on Cortez say a local artist lived in a home where the body was discovered, and they believe he is the victim. A News reporter Gord Kerbis has the story. RCMP continued to secure the property where a 60-year-old Cortez Island man was found dead on Friday morning. Police are treating the death as suspicious. Our Quadra Island members you know, thought the death was suspicious in nature, contacted the Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit for assistance. They are assisting with the file, uh, as well as West Coast Marine Services, uh, Police Dog Services, uh, and the BC Coroner's Office. RCMP have yet to release the name of the man, but late this afternoon, police could be seen at the property of Stefano Savioli, a man Islanders say was a popular island artist. Stefano's work was full of humor. Uh, I think that was the primary ingredient that he had. He was a great colorist. He, of, of all the artists here, uh, I think captured the, the kind of playfulness of the island. Savioli came to Cortez from Italy several years ago and was considered to be an integral member of the tight-knit community of just over 1,000. It was a tremendous loss, as far as I'm concerned, to the community. He depicted uh, Cortez Island Day. He depicted um, uh, the Friday Market, Cortez Cafe, um, uh, just all kinds of things. His works are on display at the Cortez Community Centre, where today his generosity was being remembered by those who had come into contact with him. He had this big philosophical discussion with me, and he said that he'd come from Italy and hit Cortez and said, this is where I want to die. And I remember thinking, what a brave man. Like, he just knows that that death is imminent, and this is where he wants to depart. 
As the community comes to terms with his loss, RCMP continue to try to figure out exactly what happened at Savioli's home. Uh, it's a large property, so the scene uh, is still being examined. Uh, it's a fairly, like I say, it's over 30 acres, so it's, it's a lot of property that has to be searched, so that is still ongoing. An autopsy report is expected to be finalized in the coming days as police continue their investigation. Meanwhile, those living on Cortez Island say the community will be a little less magical without him. On Cortez Island, Gord Curbis, A News. In this episode, we are talking about the 2010 unsolved murder of artist and painter Stefano Savioli. Savioli was found dead in his Cortez Island cabin. While the police have investigated this crime for over a decade, this crime remains unsolved. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles and with information revealed in the CBC Fifth Estate episode titled My Father's Killer. We also spoke off the record with some folks who live on Cortez. In order to truly understand this case, it's important to understand Cortez Island. Off the coast of British Columbia sits Vancouver Island, a large island roughly the size of Belgium with a population of about 800,000 people. Located in the water between Vancouver Island and the mainland of British Columbia are a series of smaller islands that stretch all the way from upstate Washington to Haida Gwaii. These islands are known as the Gulf Islands. There are both southern and northern Gulf Islands. Many of these islands are inhabited. Some are not. Each one has its own unique community of residents who are incredibly self-sustaining. Cortez is not easy to get to. There is an airstrip or it's accessible by float plane or boat. For the average person coming from the mainland, they would take the ferry from Vancouver to Victoria, then drive three hours up the island. Once to the town of Campbell River, they would take a ferry to the island of Quadra, but the trip still isn't over yet. They would then take a ferry from Quadra to Cortez. Cortez is a pretty magical place. The island has a surface of about 130 kilometers and is surrounded by natural beauty. There are scenic coves, hidden beaches, high bluffs, and dense forests. On any given day, you can see killer whales or humpbacks or bald eagles. Cortez is part of the traditional unceded territories of the Hamalco, Tlamin, and Clayhouse First Nations, with the office of the Clayhouse First Nation located on the island. The island today has a permanent population of about 1,000 people, with many of those people able to remember days on the island without running water or electricity. Obviously, in the modern day, things have changed. Old-school Cortez Island residents now mix with work-from-home tech types who have found refuge from the larger cities. On the island, you can find a mix of artists, off-the-grid types, retirees, fishers, crabbers, business owners, and artisanal product creators. With the reliance on the ferry for goods, hydro repair crews, healthcare, and anything else you can name, the good folks of Cortez are incredibly self-reliant. And it is this self-reliance that can make Cortez feel like a world away from the rest of Canada. If you can build, fix, or create, your talents are welcome there. The island has an incredibly low crime rate, and violent crime is virtually unheard of. There is an RCMP detachment there that is staffed by just a couple of officers. Major crimes get passed on to the Campbell River RCMP or Vancouver Island Major Crimes. 
It was all of these amazing traits that attracted Stefano Savioli to Cortez in the 1980s. Stefano Savioli was born in 1950 in the town of Riccione, Italy. Riccione is a town on the Adriatic Sea situated on the eastern coast of Italy. Riccione is a sun-soaked and stylish ancient Italian settlement with a modern global flair. Located in the heart of the Eastern Riviera, this coastal destination is the perfect place to sip a cocktail while lounging on golden sand. At night, party people spill from open-air nightclubs onto the beach, creating a surreal sort of everlasting outdoor party. Stefano was the heir to an enormous fortune amassed by his father, who was a poor man who became a property mogul after buying up dirt-cheap plots of land on the Adriatic after the Second World War. These properties also included a castle in San Marino, and it was this beach resort atmosphere in Riccione that Stefano's family made their fortune. They owned restaurants, nightclubs, bars, and hotels. With the booming tourist industry in Riccione, the Savioli family became millionaires many times over. Stefano owned and operated one of his father's luxury hotels in the resort town before the prevalence of drugs and guns drove him from the country in the late 70s. It was on a trip to British Columbia that Stefano first laid his eyes on Cortez Island. Years later, he told a friend that he knew that this was the place he wanted to live and die. In the 80s, Stefano immigrated to Canada and began buying up property in British Columbia. He is alleged to have purchased 10 acres of downtown Courtney. He also bought a 12-hectare or 30-acre plot on Cortez. This plot of land is located at the end of Thunder Road. The property sits on a bluff with a view of Cortez Bay. In the early days of Stefano's time on the island, his cabin did not have running water, electricity, or heat. But eventually he built the property up, and on this property was a main cabin, a secondary smaller cabin, and an art studio. Stefano did his best to contract much of this work out to skilled locals. Inside his art studio, Stefano honed his craft as a painter. He produced hundreds and hundreds of paintings. He was an incredibly dedicated artist who committed to the work of creating. His art is bold and colorful, often depicting places and people he met on the island. While his work at first can appear fun or light, it was also poignant and impactful. People say that if you want to know Stefano, you look at his artwork. His paintings fused the influences of his country of origin, including Italian futurism, with scenes from his adopted Cortez. His paintings were energized and always interpreting the island experience through his own eyes. For Stefano, art was more of a religion. He refused to market his work and rarely sold it. Some folks on the island did have his work in their homes, and it was also in the community centers as well as in cafes. Stefano once turned away a Chicago billionaire who appeared in person on the island to buy four paintings from him. Stefano looked at him and said, I don't like your energy. Get off my mountaintop. And that was that. Island residents remember Stefano as a serious and dignified artist who sat under the cedar trees by the village market sketching. Any one of the passerbys could end up in a Stefano Savioli original painting without even knowing it. While on Cortez, Stefano maintained many business ties in Italy. Locals report stories of men dressed in suits carrying briefcases flying to the island via float plane to do deals with Stefano. 
One of those deals included a new building development with a Lamborghini dealership. Stefano's romantic relationships were much more complicated. He was married in Italy. With his first wife, he had a son named Cristiano. Stefano and his first wife divorced, but Cristiano did spend some summers on Cortez with his dad. While he remembers these summers fondly, Cristiano does state that his relationship with his father was absent or non-existent. Stefano began dating another woman from Italy named Carla. Carla moved to Cortez to live with Stefano. Her young son, Marco, also lived with them. Marco comes up again later in this story. This relationship did not work out and has been described as abusive by Carla. Carla has made serious claims that Stefano was violent and abusive with her. She has recounted a story of Stefano holding an axe to her throat because she got his lunch wrong. Rumors and opinions have spread that Stefano was, quote, from an older generation and could be a womanizer and a chauvinist, and that he held some outdated concepts around women. In the 1990s, Stefano took a trip to Cuba, and it was there that he met Abigail. The two fell in love and got married. Abigail moved to Cortez with her son, Samuel. Cortez Island was a pretty major adjustment for Abigail, but according to the locals, she fit right in. She was flamboyant and full of life, and she brought a Cuban flair to this northern Gulf Island. In fact, in 2015, she was crowned the Queen of the Cortez Day Parade. She was in the parade, in a crown and sash, waving from a convertible to onlookers that lined the road. Abigail, like many other islanders, did odd jobs at stores and cafes. Stefano painted, and Abigail's son Samuel went to school. By all accounts, the son fit in well and made friends. In the summer of 2010, it would seem everything was going well. Cortez Island comes to life in the summer. After a cold winter and a wet spring, the island looks forward to the third week of July when the residents and tourists turn out for the annual Cortez Day celebration. The celebration takes place at Smelt Bay Provincial Park and begins with a parade. The parade is a loose gathering of floats, trucks, people on bikes, and folks in costume. As usual in 2010, Stefano attended the Cortez Day's parade. But in the weeks leading up to August 5th, 2010, the day of Stefano's eventual murder, Cristiano, Stefano's now adult son, reconnected with his dad. Stefano spoke to Cristiano over the phone. According to Cristiano, Stefano, now 60 years old, revealed that he had become bored of Canada and that he planned to move back to Italy for good. This revelation was a bit of a shock as Stefano by all accounts loved Cortez and his life there. But it is a small remote community, so perhaps he wanted a little more. There are no indications that Stefano shared this decision with anyone else. In August of 2010, the forest fire season in British Columbia was very bad. The smoke was thicker and the number of communities affected was greater than in previous years. Four major fires burned on the mainland, wafting smoke over Cortez and Vancouver Island, blocking out the stars and the night sky. On the evening of August 5th, 2010, Stefano was working in his art studio. His wife, Abigail, was working in Campbell River at a nail salon that night, so she decided to spend the night at a friend's home in Campbell River rather than take the ferry back to Cortez. At around 9 p.m., Stefano phoned his son Cristiano in Italy 
It was a normal conversation, but at one point, Stefano said something that has always stuck with Cristiano. He said to his son, quote, Do me a favor. Start to enjoy life. It's time to have fun. A short while later, the two men said goodnight and got off the phone. Stefano made his way from his art studio to his main cabin. His 16-year-old stepson, Samuel, was in the guest cabin with another local boy named Nick. As far as anyone knows, there were only three of them on the property. The two teens in the guest cabin and Stefano in the main cabin. Eventually, Stefano made his way up the loft steps to his bed. It is unclear what time this was, but it was clear that Stefano had gotten into bed and fell asleep. During the night, one or more assailants made their way into Stefano's cabin. There was no indication of forced entry, but many people on Cortez do not lock their doors. The assailants quietly climbed the steps up to the loft. They found Stefano asleep in his bed. Using hands and possibly weapons, the attacker or attackers began to bludgeon, stab, and beat Stefano until he died. Stefano was attacked while he slept. Being caught off guard, Stefano did not stand a chance. Stefano Savioli lay on his bed in a pool of blood. The rafters above him were covered in blood spatter. Nothing was stolen. Nothing was damaged. The sole purpose the assailant had that night was to murder Stefano. The assailant or assailants then made their escape into the dark and smoky night. At 8.34 a.m., Samuel, Stefano's 16-year-old stepson, discovered Stefano's lifeless body. He then phoned 911. Local Cortez RCMP members responded immediately. The cause of death has been holdback evidence in this case. But when the RCMP responded, it was clear that this was a very angry and very bloody murder that involved a weapon of some kind. The members of the Cortez RCMP detachment secured the scene and took some statements. At the same time, a call was put out to the Major Crimes Division on Vancouver Island. At the start, four statements were taken. This included Samuel, his friend Nick, and two neighbors. It is not public what was recorded in the statements of Samuel and Nick, but neighbors have said in their own statements that they did not see or hear anything out of the ordinary that night. The RCMP spent weeks on the property gathering evidence. RCMP documents show that the police photographed evidence that they considered to be relevant to the crime. Some of this evidence was located in the cabin where Samuel and Nick were staying. Specifically, the RCMP documents also show that police photographed what they refer to as, quote, crime scene evidence on a wicker chair near the back door of the secondary cabin. Police boats searched the harbor for a discarded murder weapon, but no such weapon was found. But apparently, the RCMP investigation was riddled with flaws in its early days. Search warrants for a laptop and a cell phone seized from the crime scene were so poorly written that a judge initially rejected them. There was also confusion around where exhibits were stored. Further documents show that some exhibits were not tested for DNA and blood or hair for more than three years. As the investigation moved along, it began to stall and then came to a complete halt. With no arrests made, no information given to the public, not even the cause of death, For Stefano's son, Cristiano, this was devastating. He flew from Italy to be there for his family. When he spoke to RCMP, they wouldn't reveal any details of the murder. 
They did, however, give him a pamphlet about grief and loss. In early 2015, the investigation went into a period of strategic inactivity. This appeared to last about three years. As the inactivity in the investigation went on, speculation ran wild on the island and the community was divided. With some believing they had a right to know what happened on their island, and others, including Abigail, Stefano's now widow, felt that people should not be talking about the murder. Rumor has it that she told people directly to not talk about the case. After Stefano's death, Abigail and her son Samuel became the beneficiaries of Stefano's Canadian fortunes. She also has a new boyfriend, although oddly, this boyfriend was known to Stefano. The boyfriend had lived with Stefano as a child. Yeah, so this kind of gets confusing. Earlier in the episode, we spoke about Carla. Carla was a woman who came from Italy with her child, Marco, to live with Stefano. She is the person who stated that Stefano had once held an axe to her throat for making his lunch wrong. Well, her son, Marco, grew up and moved away from Cortez, but he moved back as an adult. And in 2015, he began a long-term relationship with Abigail. Together, they own multiple properties in British Columbia, having benefited from Stefano's great wealth. So just to clarify a little bit more, because this may be confusing, Marco, who lived with Stefano as a child, basically making Stefano his stepdad for a period of time, he is now dating Stefano's widow, Abigail. This relationship that started in 2015, four years after the murder, is ongoing to this day. And just to clarify even further, the only persons known to be on the property the night that Stefano was murdered was Samuel, Abigail's 16-year-old son, and his friend, Nick. Like with any small community, naturally rumors began spreading about Stefano's death. The first rumor was that this was an Italian mafia hit. People have speculated that it was bad blood that led to Stefano leaving Italy, possibly a bad business deal. They speculate that this came back to haunt him years later, or that possibly a recent deal in Italy led to his death. This theory involves some wild theatrics. As the story goes, a group of covert assassins flew in a float plane under the cover of night. They docked the float plane and transferred to a small boat. Using this small boat, they traveled from the harbor on Cortez to the coastline below Stefano's cabin. The assassins then made their way by foot to the cabin, entered and murdered Stefano, then quickly making their escape again by float plane. In this theory, the murder weapon differs. Some claim Stefano was stabbed, others claim Stefano's torso was too muscular for a stabbing, and that he was shot instead. One man stated he had a torso on him like a gladiator. He would have won any physical struggle. Cristiano has called this mafia theory laughable, offensive, and truly racist. The idea that a man with Italian origins can be murdered in Canada and people assume it's an organized crime hit out of a Scorsese movie is pretty elaborate while at the same time playing on stereotypes. Others have speculated that a person on the island a resident, took exception to being a cartoonish caricature in one of Stefano's paintings. These depictions were sometimes unflattering, but there is no proof that that is actually true. 
But of course, the real story on Cortez was that this murder was perpetrated by someone closer to home. Access, means, and motive are the key elements of a crime. The people closest to Stefano had access that night. This included his 16-year-old stepson. The means was easy. Rumor on the island was that Stefano was stabbed to death with a sharp object. Knives, axes, and machetes are all not difficult to obtain on an island where people build their own and upkeep their own properties. And the motive? Well, that's less clear. But we'll get back to that. In 2019, Cristiano returned to Cortez Island hoping to rekindle the investigation and find out who killed his father. Armed with posters and a $10,000 reward, Cristiano reconnected with the residents on the island who remember him and his father fondly. He asked questions and took the opportunity to remind the community that his father has not been forgotten. Sadly, some people on the island took to taking his posters down. Cristiano was accompanied by the CBC's fifth estate producer, Harvey Kishore, who grew up on Cortez and reporter Mark Kelly. Together, the three created a two-part series for the fifth estate titled My Father's Killer, Murder Mystery on Cortez Island. While on the island, they attempted to connect with Abigail, Marco, and Samuel. The reactions from these three were interesting. On a phone call, Abigail stated, quote, I'm not really happy about what you are doing. Actually, super unhappy, and that's not okay. Only the police can answer your questions. You need to stop doing that. Marco, Abigail's partner, was a little bit more forceful. He stated via email, quote, Do you think anyone cares about the past? If I see you on Cortez and I find out you are researching, I will combat you. Try me. He then went on to deliver what seemed like a threat, stating, With all due respect to your family, next time, be smart. Reporter Mark Kelly also reached out to Samuel, Abigail's son, the person who found Stefano. In an email, Samuel responded, How did you get my email address? The CBC hit some walls during their investigation, so they filed a lawsuit against the RCMP arguing that the public has a right to know certain aspects of the investigation. In 2019, after a lengthy battle, a judge ruled in favor of the journalists and ordered the RCMP to hand over several key documents, including an RCMP affidavit summarizing the case. These documents were heavily redacted, but they did reveal some key details, including the seemingly flawed investigation, bad warrant applications, improperly stored evidence, and of course, the fact that the DNA samples were not tested for three years. The documents also show that in 2018, the Mounties learned something in a police database they considered relevant to the 2010 murder. Unfortunately, what they learned is blacked out. But later that year, in documents, they discussed new investigative strategies and the assignment of new investigators to the file. The bombshell in the CBC report uncovers a key fact that the RCMP do indeed have a suspect. In the documents submitted, the RCMP seemed to argue against disclosing information to the CBC, stating words to the effect of, If Cortez Island residents are interviewed by the CBC, it could result in the suspect being identified. So, in this document, two things can be inferred. The first is that they do indeed have a suspect, and the second is that the suspect could be a resident of Cortez Island. 
The name of the suspect is not named in the documents. However, people on Cortez who had conversations with Abigail have claimed that she spoke of the suspect. Now, we cannot confirm the name of the suspect, but we will quote directly from a CBC article published by the Fifth Estate on October 26, 2019. While the identity of the RCMP suspect has been redacted in the police documents, the Fifth Estate has learned from sources that Stefano Savioli's widow, Abigail James, has told several people on Cortez Island that police informed her that Samuel, her son, is the suspect. She was really upset, said Bertha Jeffrey, an island resident whom Abigail confided in years ago. She was really offended by that. I don't think she ever wanted to talk to the police or anything after that. None of the RCMP allegations have been tested in court. The RCMP documents show that Samuel, then 16, discovered the lifeless body of Stefano Savioli and called 911 at 8.34 a.m. on August 6, 2010. Whatever Samuel told police at the time has also been blacked out in the documents. Abigail was not home the night of the slaying. She had been staying in nearby Campbell River on Vancouver Island, working at a nail salon during the week. At the time, Samuel was living in the secondary cabin on the Savioli property. We spoke with a resident of Cortez who is familiar with the case. They wanted to remain anonymous and communicated via email, so we sent them some brief questions. We first asked if the person or persons of interest are still on the island or did they move. They answered, Quote, everyone is still on the island. He, the person of interest, owns property in Cortez, on Vancouver Island, and on the mainland, but has not held a steady job since pre-COVID. He benefited substantially from the murder, put it that way. We then asked if there was a danger level posed by the person or persons of interest. Or was this a one-time occurrence? They answered, one-time thing. However, the suspect's behavior tends to be unpredictable. So where does all of this leave us? Well, in 2019, the CBC ran an article titled Mounties Closing In on Suspect in 2010 Homicide That Haunts BC Island Community. In the article, the CBC referred to court documents in which the RCMP state that the Mounties have identified the suspect in the killing and anticipate a resolution in the case. One affidavit dated May 27, 2019, states that the RCMP have an investigative strategy in place and anticipate resolving the murder within a prescribed time frame. It is now July 2022. In a few weeks, it will be 12 years since Stefano Savioli's murder. We can't profess to know or understand the RCMP prescribed timeline, but it would seem that this investigation has met another impasse. As for Cristiano, when he asked the RCMP if they had a suspect, they stated, Maybe, but we can't tell you. Cristiano has vowed that he will not stop until his father's killer is brought to justice. He has flown from Italy to Cortez multiple times. He has worked with outside agencies, lawyers, and the CBC to investigate this crime. He has a website called StefanoSaviolicase.com where he offers a $10,000 reward. He also has a Facebook page called Stefano Savioli Case. We will link both of those in our show notes. That's all we have for this episode. If you are interested in learning more about this case or seeing a visual representation of all the people we talked about today, 
please check out the Fifth Estate episode on Stefano's murder. We highly recommend it. It's incredibly well done. Thank you all so much for tuning into this Patreon members-only episode of True North True Crime. Keep your ears out for a debrief episode on this case that will be out soon. We'll be back soon with more members-only content, or we'll catch you on our main feed with a new episode of True North True Crime. So until then, take care of yourselves and each other.